0: On this edition of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast, former Calgary Vipers All-Star and Sidearm Nation founder Jeff Freeborn joins us to talk about his journey, including playing on almost every continent. Welcome to episode 120 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. We've had a lot of fun over the last few episodes, bringing you more in-depth conversations with those who have turned baseball into their livelihoods, and this week is no exception. Calgary's Jeff Freeborn has made a name for himself in a variety of ways, breaking onto the scene with the hometown Vipers between 2006 and 2008, including an all-star caliber season. He went on to spend years traveling around the world, then coaching, leading to a profile we wrote on him a little more than three years ago at alberta Dugoutstories.com. we hadn't had him on the podcast yet so this seemed like a pretty good opportunity to catch up on his coaching his golf game and on sidearm nation jeff thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast yeah thanks for having me let's start off with how does an alberta kid like yourself end up falling in love with the game of baseball
1: yeah i you know grew up played borage little league right behind that you know the field right behind foothills there so i you know went to a lot of Cannons games growing up and you know, after practice or a game, at, you know, Borage would kind of maybe sneak in at the end. Well, I mean, actually, I think it was free to get in after like the seventh inning. So I remember catching a lot of end of games too. But that, I think that definitely kind of got my my interest as far as baseball it was just kind of watching the cannons for sure. And um, I think being a left-handed pitcher, definitely I kind of stood out a little bit um, when I was younger. That definitely kind of helped me, you know, I think get to the get to the next level. Um, you know, but, you know, I, I, played baseball Calgary all six years. Um, you know, I played three years of Bantam. I was, I was actually, I was peewee age, but I was able to play as a Bantam as a 13 year old and just, just a sport that I always enjoy playing. Just that, that one-on-one pitcher versus hitter, but still that team atmosphere. But yeah, I, I, yeah, kind of fell in love with the game Pretty young. So,
0: did you play any other sports growing up, or was baseball the be-all, end-all in your eyes?
1: Um, no, I definitely was a multi-sport athlete. I, I was actually pretty high-level tennis player growing up, volleyball player. There was a period there actually volleyball was was up there as well. Hmm. Um, I remember going to a lot of University of Calgary Dinos, the Dinos Cup, and stuff too. And um, you know, that I, I kind of maybe regret maybe doing so much of the basically the same repetitive motion, tennis, volleyball, baseball, um, obviously, um, was good at it, um, with my spike and my tennis serve and, and my, my pitching. But I I do think maybe I wish I would have maybe take some pressure off my shoulder and maybe, maybe focused on one thing a little bit earlier, but at the same time I loved all three. So
0: you mentioned being a left-handed pitcher. Was that a little difficult to kind of, Try to find local people to lean on for experience and training and that kind of thing when you're looking everything through a, a backwards lens.
1: Um, you know, I was fortunate enough. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I was able to kind of get some work in with with some older coaches like Harold Northcott. He was a lefty and was coaching uh, Team Canada at the time. Um, I was fortunate enough to work with some guys like Mike Ross, who was a former Team Canada. Um, he would do some stuff with baseball Calgary. So to kind of have, um, experience from two former national team, um, those two guys definitely, definitely helped my pitching career for sure.
0: So talk us through that evolution of Jeffrey Bourne, the pitcher and, uh, particularly going from Calgary up the, the chain of command where you're finally getting yourself, uh, into pro ball.
1: Yeah, it was a long journey. Um, I, uh, I was a very good 16 year old. I kind of definitely stood out. I was getting up to like 85, 86 and um, talking to a lot of major league teams at, at that age. And um, as a 17 year old, I actually, I tore the tendon in my middle finger, my pitching hand, my left left hand and middle finger. I wish it could have been any other finger, but which is actually your most important finger, mm-hmm. um, dunking a basketball. Um, had to have surgery and Definitely. Um, there was a point there, I was told I might never pitch again. Mm -hmm. Um, but that actually made me work even, even harder. (laughs) Um, but there was a period there where I I actually wasn't sure what my career would look like. And uh, a lot of rehab, um, my grade 11 year and my velocity was definitely down, but I, it kind of maybe forced me to pitch, you know, learn how to pitch and focus on maybe my off speed and, um, made the junior national team the following year and was able to kind of get my velocity somewhere back where it was, but I've, I've always kind of had shoulder injuries because of that surgery, just the way I gripped the ball and not quite having that same feeling off that middle finger. Um, it, it's definitely been a little bit of a probably more of a grind than maybe a lot of people didn't realize I had that surgery, mm. but, um, you know, I was able to I went to junior college at uh, I went to a JUCO in California first, transferred to a JUCO in Idaho, and then I went to Northern Kentucky University. So pretty fortunate. Um then I got to play five years of professional baseball all over the world. Got to play in Europe and Australia, Columbia, and three years with the Calgary Vipers, my hometown was was pretty special. So
0: let's talk about that hometown thing first off. And uh, I'm sure there has to be a lot of memories. What was it like, though, from your perspective? As you mentioned, you grew up playing ball, watching ball there, and then you actually get to play pro ball in that same barn. What was that like?
1: Um, Definitely a little surreal. Like, I remember my, my first outing, you know, with the Vipers, just, you know, I, I mean, actually, honestly, even just kind of sitting in the bullpen, you know, waiting for the call, but just kind of, you know, seeing the little leaguer still out there with Bowridge and just kind of realizing that that was me, give or take 13, 14 years before and, mm. you know, kind of dreaming. I mean, obviously I was hoping to be with the Canons and AAA, but <laughs> ended up being the Vipers, but I mean, still pretty special and just being on that mound for my first outing with the Vipers, I honestly don't even remember it really. I just was, it was kind of a, you know, one of those kind of in a way blackout moments where I just... You know, I had a good inning, you know, kind of three up, three down, but I, I really honestly don't remember much of it. It was just kind of one of those, you know, obviously I didn't make it to the big, so that was in a way kind of maybe like a mini kind of call up mm-hmm. for myself, right? So pretty special.
0: Is that something when you look back on, did you have that opportunity maybe after the first time around to soak it in a little bit more the second, third, fourth time around and go, yeah, this is still pretty cool?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and definitely after that first season, um definitely kind of sat back and realized how how special and how lucky it was for even to get to that level. Mm-hmm. Um that's actually like halfway through that first season, you know, Coach Bush dropped me down. I thought I was getting released. You know, he called me into the office. I think I had like a six point five ERA the first half of the season and Luckily, in in, in the Northern League, you have to carry five rookies. And I was the one, you know, the local kind of token rookie, which probably helped. Mm -hmm. But I actually, I thought he was releasing me. And that's where uh, Bushy suggested, hey, have you ever tried dropping down? And honestly, I had nothing to lose. I I gave it a shot. You know, that day I I went out and kind of worked on it. Uh, John Izinga. Uh, the closer at the time he was a sidearm guy and kind of showed me a couple things and hopped on the mound that same day and kind of had some instant success with it that you know bushy threw me in the game that day and probably not the norm, but I had a three up three down uh, outing and got my first ever professional win when I thought I was getting released that same day. so it was it was a crazy. <laughs> Crazy twelve hours for me there, and and honestly, I kind of went from there. And the next year, I was a Northern League All Star, so I was uh, it was a pretty special moment.
0: How difficult was that making that transition? Even even though you had that early success, it's not something that you would naturally feel like this is, feels good, right? So I'm curious how how it played into your mindset as you went forward, and how you managed to overcome maybe some of that that mental strain that you probably had to go through.
1: Yeah. And and honestly, even just with the site and stuff too, and a lot of guys struggle with, you know, really kind of taking the plunge and, you know, it's something you can't necessarily be one foot in, one foot out. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're going to drop down, you really have to fully commit to it. Um, I was in a situation where I had to, right? Like Mm -hmm. I I was getting released, you know, so I, I basically did it right. So, um i know for a lot of high school kids it could be their ticket to play college ball for a lot of college guys it could be their ticket to maybe playing pro ball but you you do have to kind of buy into it and see where you stand in the you know on the totem pole and the bullpen you know obviously if i had a 1.5 era you know i could maybe you know or you know if i'm dropping down a guy with a with success and a 1.5 era you know you're not going to touch a guy like that but if you know i i kind of a realist and was able to kind of see I wasn't going to be pitching much. So I, I bought into it and I think it definitely helped that I was a multi-sport athlete, though I've always kind of known, known my body and different, uh, doing different sports and and different activities. So I think I was able to pick up on it a little bit quicker than, than others, but that's where I do believe in being a multi-sport athlete can help
0: you and I grew up kind of in the same era. And so I'm curious, did uh, having, looking back on the Mark Icorns, the Dennis Eckersleys of the world, did that kind of help you out a little bit and go, okay, I can kind of get the body (laughs) movements down a little bit better.
1: I mean, I remember even watching Chad Bradford pitch for the Mm -hmm. cannons. And I mean, it's funny looking back at it, though, I remember watching a pitch and I'm like, there's no way I would ever pitch like that. I just, you know, I was having success in college and like I said, made the junior national team, um, you know, in grade 12. And I just, it never even crossed my mind. And I remember definitely watching like, you know, Mark Eichhorn and some of those guys and it just... I, it never even crossed my mind that I would be pitching like that. So, <laughs> I, I, I remember seeing some of those guys though in the back of my head, and as soon as I was asked to make the transition, I definitely did as much research as I could and watching YouTube video on those guys and 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 just just trying to learn as much about it as, as I
0: could. Well, and obviously it worked out well for you. Like you've said, you've managed to create a, a pretty good career out of the deal because you ended up getting to to travel around the world. What was it like being able to uh, play a sport and also get to see places that you probably wouldn't have gotten a chance to see had you not been playing ball?
1: Uh, I mean, very fortunate. Um, you know, I wasn't able to make the Canadian senior national team, you know, obviously in college, but that's where I remember like Greg Hamilton um, you know, talking to me about with my dad being born in England, I could qualify for a British passport. So I ended up playing on the British national team for, for eight years. And that's kind of where the European route came from. But yeah, getting to just to see how baseball's played in different, you know, different continents and different styles, European, Asia and Australia and Colombia, And, um, you know, I just need to go to Antarctica now and check that one <laughs> off. But... <laughs>
0: Hey, you know I, what? You're pretty much there in Alberta right well, yeah, now. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in training
1: right now, so.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask, when it comes to the different cultures, I think that's maybe one of the more understated pieces about how everybody kind of plays a different style of game. Can you expand on that a little bit more and how, you know, whether you're in Colombia or in England or in Canada, there is a little bit of a different style?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And like even you know, obviously the Latin American style, like they're, they're passionate because it's, it's their way to almost get off the Island. And even, you know, just in Colombia, the guys playing in the Columbia winter league, like for them, those, those three months, you know, the money they make there, I mean, that's, it's pretty decent money for them. And, um, you know, so they're, they're passionate. They work hard. Their fans are passionate there. If you have a bad outing, they'll, they'll let you know. <laughs> and they did, <laughs> um, you know, and then obviously Europe, they're a little bit, they're a little bit behind. Um, I mean, it's, it's coming over there though. I mean, there's, there's some guys that they start late. They don't, there's there's some guys that didn't start till they were 15 and 16, but they're on the, you know, the WBC, you know, national team, you know, when they're 21, 22 and some guys that could definitely play college baseball over in North America. But the, the, the fans that, that are involved with baseball, they're definitely passionate in Europe and even Australia, they're kind of on the same par I find with Canada um, on the international scene, and they just seem to be kind of on the same level, and they definitely, uh, yeah, they like to like to party in Australia. <laughs> <you> know, and, <laughs> um, but, yeah, and even just Asia, you know, I played in an international tournament in Hong Kong and just seeing that style and played against Japan a few times, even just with the this, this Cider Nation teams that I put together. They're very disciplined. Uh, they have a lot of respect for the game, respect for the baseball field. Even a couple of the Japanese guys that I played with on the Vipers, they'd always bow before they got on the field and bow when they left. So just seeing that part of it too, it's there's a lot of respect in the game,
0: mm-hmm. definitely
1: in Asia for sure.
0: Talk a little about some of the, the culture shocks that you personally went through as you went to the different places. What maybe took you by surprise as you landed from place to place?
1: um Colombia was definitely a little bit of a culture shock just you know as soon as I arrived off the plane there was like a you know a media group of of 10 people you know wanting to get to know who I was and you know from from that standpoint it was just something I wasn't quite used to but um the fan base over there was well, that, that was definitely a cultural shock for me just just how how passionate they are I think in even just in North America fans are you know they're obviously watching the game but it just you know it They're not necessarily maybe in it all nine innings, Mm -hmm. but in Columbia, they're, they're watching, they're getting their money's worth. They're watching (laughs) the whole game from, (laughs) from the, yeah, from the first inning all the way to the ninth. But, um, you know, I mean, in Columbia, I I actually, I got, I blew the save my first outing. It wasn't necessarily my best outing, maybe some nerves, obviously, but, um, and then I threw well, though, the next, my next nine outings, I think I almost went like nine innings. I didn't give up a hit, Mm -hmm. And I was throwing really well, but it's almost like they they couldn't forget that first outing where I blew the save. So I kind of maybe shot myself in the foot at the beginning, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean Australia, it was uh, it was definitely um, you know a bit of a it was a, it was an interesting team that I played with. They they only won one game in in five years, mm-hmm. so kind of went there and was able like we still I mean we went six and 30 that season I think I went like six and ten or whatever pitching wise or five and ten and but for them like that was almost like I was kind of Randy Johnson in a way it was kind of special (laughs) to kind of help that team win six games and like I said only winning like one game in five years Uh, (laughs) kind of kind of cool to be able to help them at least climb the ladder a little bit Mm -hmm. I guess but
0: (laughs) (laughs) talk a little bit about the uh just living whether it be the food the travel that had to have been an interesting side note and all of that as well
1: yeah no ops. I've definitely eaten my fair share of different food you know Colombia was kind of you know chicken and rice every day and Australia getting to eat kangaroo burgers and you know, obviously Europe, some of the, the fine food they have over there. And, uh, you know, I, you know, some of the stuff I eat in France, I, you know, you know, uh, cow tongue and so I, it's definitely stuff I wouldn't eat again, but <laughs> it was kind of fun to, fun to try it, frog's legs and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, definitely cool to just experience different, uh, different, you know, cultural food and even in Asia and, some of the food they have over there it's just uh, hopefully it wasn't dog but I, it was kind of a mystery box of meat that they give us <laughs> after each game and just I guess we ate it and not 100% sure what it was so
0: <laughs> you didn't die so that's kind of a victory uh, all in its own
1: Still
0: here. So, <laughs> well, you managed to live through that, obviously, and and from there, you've been able to turn that into uh, a career beyond the game. And we'll start off with the sidearm nation idea. Where did this come from, first off, and talk about its evolution because it's it's kind of all over the place when it comes to you know as you mentioned teams, but also um, training and and videos and uh, podcasts. I mean, you've got it all kind of covered.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, after I was done playing, I, I actually needed a couple years off. Um, you know, just, just some of the injuries and, and, and for me, it was maybe a difficult decision to just, um, you know, financially tough to, to grind it out in the minors. And sometimes I wish it, maybe it would have given a couple more years, but at the same time, just, it was my, my time and mm-hmm. just need a couple years off. And I actually got into long drive golf, mm-hmm. um, made it to the REMAX worlds three times and I I honestly still don't know my golf swing. I could just hit it far. That was about (laughs) it. But I mean, at the same time, baseball's always kind of been my number one love. And I I don't know where the, I mean, I guess for Saturn nation, I, it was one of those things. When I dropped down, I remember doing all the research myself and looking up guys that pitched from there and printing off articles and, and, but there honestly wasn't too much help on the subject So that's kind of where the idea for Sidearm Nation came from. Um, It's definitely evolved. I I didn't really know at first where it was going to start. A lot of it was just kind of maybe the interviews and connecting with former and current big leaguers. And from that standpoint, I I had no plans on doing camps or that part of it. But the more emails I got from parents and players, they kind of asked, like, have you ever – thought about doing camps and that's kind of where that, that obviously came from. And those have been pretty cool to set up and, you know, having guys like Randy Chout, Chout coming out to games or the, sorry, the the camps and, you know, we've got Ben Rowan and Cameron Lowe and uh, Chad Bradford came out to our Mississippi camp. So to mm-hmm. have some of those guys come out, it's it's been pretty fun and special. And, you know, my goal with Cider Nation has just been to try and help as many Many sidearm submarine pitchers get to whatever level they they want to, whether that's high school kid trying to get to college or a college kid trying to get to pro ball, and it uh, yeah it's been pretty fun.
0: It's probably got to be really rewarding as well, especially when you see maybe kids that are were in the same same boat as you were who uh, needed to find that extra edge, and all of a sudden they find it by just dropping down.
1: Yeah, no, and, and it can definitely be a big changer for a lot of guys. Um, you, know, you know, honestly, a lot of the guys I've interviewed, you know, they wouldn't have made the bigs if they didn't drop down. Um, a lot of guys were, wouldn't would have barely pitched in college if they didn't drop down, and it can it can just be like just this instant game changer for for a lot of pitchers, and you know, just to you know, especially. To, to see a guy develop you know one of the kids came to a couple of our camps and got signed out to indie ball by the new york mets uh josh hedga hopefully i'm pronouncing that right but um just to see like a guy like that you know come out to a couple camps and now he's in the met system and um you know ryan thompson actually of the rays was an instructor at a north carolina camp and um just to see him always wear Inside Our nation shirts and stuff and promoting it and it uh, it's it's definitely pretty
0: cool to see kind of a community all to itself in a sense and so everybody kind of knows somebody who kind of passes the word along and talk about that side of it as being able to foster that community and watch it grow and and be able to help maintain and grow it
1: yeah and it, it, honestly it, it's one of those things too where a lot of times even pitchers get asked to drop down by their pitching coach and almost like hey just go work on it in the in, in the corner right Mm -hmm. so hopefully just able to kind of give that little bit of a support group i mean we kind of kind of joke about it at some of the camps that it's almost like an AA group you know (laughs) like kind of everyone kind of shows up at the camp kind of nervous like heads down like you know we do an introduction all the you know kids kind of introduce themselves but kind of just yeah i'm a sidearm pitcher but But then kind of at the end of the camp, though, you can definitely see just just hopefully a little more even confidence, like seeing 20, 25 other sidearm submarine pitchers and seeing the the former big leaguers that have come out to work with them. And yeah, to kind of have just this this community where they can almost hopefully communicate with each other, too, and see other guys pitching from there and hopefully just give them some some confidence.
0: And obviously you've been involved in the coaching game as well here in Calgary and and around the world with Sidearm Nation. Talk about how uh, rewarding it is from that standpoint is to be able to see some of these kids develop. And maybe they're not pros. Maybe they're just uh, doing it until they're 25 or whatever the case may be once they're done school. But being able to have that opportunity to to give back to the game that gave to you.
1: Yeah, it's kind of been a weird situation for me coaching-wise in, in Calgary. Like I started with the the Coyotes program, so it's kind of more based for 12 and under um, training. And I guess kind of in a way when I started seven or eight years ago, kind of getting back into coaching, I, I kind of just kind of kept climbing the ladder a little bit. And I started doing some Babe Ruth stuff, which is a little more kind of, you know, 18 and under, but it was a lot of those same kids that I coached in Coyotes and and then ended up kind of being the head coach at the University of Calgary for a couple of years. And it was some of those same kids that I kind of just kept coaching with. And and even now I, I'm coaching a 21U kind of collegiate summer team that we put together in the men's league in the FNBA, but it's kind of the same thing. It's a lot of those same kids that I've kind of, kind of just kind of followed. And so from that standpoint, it's kind of cool. Even, even honestly, just to see some of the kids that I've, I've coached, And and even if they move down onto the States and stuff, a lot of guys just to, just to kind of follow them and and see where they're at in their college career. It's, it's pretty cool to see.
0: How different is it from your perspective to see the game, the way it is now versus the way it was back when you were growing up and, and what the game is like, how has it evolved and especially from an Alberta perspective?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 It's good and bad i mean sometimes even where i feel like the game's almost going i mean and i'm now kind of scouting with the orioles and learning that side of it but um where it just seems to be all about velocity right and like Mm -hmm. and from a pitching standpoint i feel like that's where maybe the art of pitching is some sometimes gets lost a little bit right now and at the same time though i'm kind of jealous of some of these kids like just the access they have to online training and um you know even weightlifting. i didn't start lifting though my first year of college you know guys are hopefully all the guys are doing it a lot earlier now right Mm -hmm. and definitely you know the access that the kids have to some knowledge good and bad sometimes there's Mm -hmm. you know too much maybe information on youtube you know but um definitely maybe jealous of a lot of the opportunities that guys can have now so
0: Obviously, you mentioned the the pitching, the art of pitching, and, and I was curious about that because I've heard that from different athletes even is that they knew that they could be a fireballer. They were, you know, throwing 85 at 16. But they never really understood the art of being able to pitch. I look at a guy like Jack Morris as an example from way back when was he's a guy yeah. that didn't over overpower you by any stretch, but was able to place the ball wherever he wanted. And how much of a challenge is that to change the mindset of a young, young player? And is do you think that that's changing a little bit um, today? Talk a little bit about that side of what's happening in the, the pitching world.
1: Yeah, I guess it's it's kind of that combination of are you a pitcher or are you a thrower, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's tricky. Like those guys, like the throwers, they end up maybe getting more looks. You know, it's easy to maybe draft a guy that's a 95, but whether he turns into a pitcher, that's a different story. You know, a good example maybe is, you know, Mike Soroka. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously watching, he's a pitcher. But mm-hmm. if, if he really wanted to, I guarantee you can let some go and I bet you he could you know, let it go and touch 98 99. You never know if he was maybe a closer a 100, right? But he goes up there kind of 92, 93, good sink, you know, 3-4 solid pitches and just knows how to pitch and get hitters out. Um obviously at, at the younger age group, it's it's just I think a lot of guys get stuck in kind of strikeouts and I was the same way. You know, I was I had a bad habit of wanting to strikeouts, you know, getting you know yeah i had 14 strikeouts in 7 innings but i also threw 140 pitches and i think trying to teach younger pitchers if you can get out of the inning in you know less than 10 pitches and save your arm you're going to hopefully have a little bit longer of a career too hopefully mm-hmm. and and just maybe take that wear and tear off your arm um trusting your defense You know, I think that's where a lot of pitchers struggle with, want to strike out everyone. And, um, you know, obviously it depends what level you're, you're playing at, but I think just, just, you know, pitching the contact would be some good advice that I, I like to give to a lot of young pitchers. And I know some, it can be trickier to buy into that, but, um, like I said, I mean, you can definitely save the life out of your arm by hopefully just eliminating some of those extra pitches.
0: You mentioned a little bit of the advice for those young kids who might be listening or that you typically talk to on a day to day basis. Using your worldly experiences, what are some of the things that you tell them that you know, maybe you hope that sticks with them from what stuck with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, something that I was taught and it kind of stuck with me and, and, and it's always, um, it's one of those things like a lot of guys can put in the work when the coach is watching, but it, it's, it's the, the guys that are going to actually um, maybe pass some of the guys with maybe a little more talent, but it's just, just putting in the work when there's no coach watching. Um, you know, that's, that's the time where you're going to get stronger and working on your mechanics, you know, even at home, doing the little drills that coach is telling you. Like I said, it's easy to do it when the coach is actually watching you, but doing those same drills, you know, at home Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, instead of maybe playing video games, doing some drills for, for, you know, a few minutes. Right. And, um, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot more maybe distractions nowadays than there was when I was growing up, but I mean, that's where it's going to maybe separate the guys that actually are serious about baseball from the guys that aren't.
0: When you look back on your career and you look back at what you've accomplished and that what are you most proud of?
1: Um I mean actually honestly though coming back from that surgery um you know I remember being told by the plastic surgeon there's a chance I might not ever pitch again um I'm glad he said that though, because it definitely made me go through the rehab probably a little bit harder. So maybe he said that for a reason, but Mm -hmm. um, bouncing back from that surgery and um, the following year, still being able to make the junior national team, definitely, definitely something I'm pretty proud of. Um, Even just making that junior national team with guys like Jeff Francis and Justin Morneau and Russell Martin and, you know, Jim Henderson and guys like that. And I mean, I, fortunate just to have my name on that roster but if you look at our the roster I still don't quite know how I <laughs> <laughs> how I lucked out there but um but I was always just kind of I was I was competitive on the mound you know I I mean I'm definitely kind of you know a, kind of that quiet confidence probably off the mound but uh, you know on the mound I, I definitely always like to compete mm-hmm. you know I I, I, even though I was six foot three, when I was on the mound, I I pitched like I was six foot 10 and, and Randy Johnson, you know, even if I was only throwing 86, I still came right after the hitter. Like I was throwing 96, I I didn't nibble or mess around. I just, i like to go right after the hitter. And if I was going to get beat, I'd rather give up a home run than a walk. So I always just like to challenge the hitter and go right after him.
0: Did you ever over the course of your career find yourself awestruck? Somebody who kind of made you go, whoa, that's out of this world talent or beyond that. Somebody that you knew was very talented or was a pro and you managed to uh, to catch their ear for a few minutes or pitch against them or play with them, that kind of thing.
1: Um I got to play with Jose Canseco for five days. Uh, Yuma was kind of short on, on, on players. So uh, I got to actually, I was Ozzy Canseco for, for five days. And some people actually thought I was Ozzy Canseco, but <laughs> clearly not the same build, but, <laughs> um, but getting to play with, with, you know, for Jose and with Jose and just kind of having him as my manager for five days, that was a little kind of surreal, just watching him play growing up. But mm-hmm. um the guy that kind of stands out though that I, I was when I was pitching in Germany, I uh, he went three for three off of me, and like I, I had thrown some really good pitches to him and pitches that I had got former big leaguers out in indie ball, and this guy went like he got a double off the wall, like a hard single up the middle, and it turns out it was Max Kepler on oh. the Twins and I, yeah like I said I think he was like 15 at the time like just this young kid I'm like I just threw some really good pitches and he he like I mean, who is this kid and and like some guys are telling me like no no this this just watch in a couple of years he's going to sign for a lot of money and turns out he uh he was pretty good so I didn't feel that bad at the, at the time I'm like this 15 year old I I couldn't get him out to save my life I'm like I I should I'm, I quit <laughs> I'm, done. <laughs> I'm done with baseball but Turns out he was okay.
0: When you look back on on that career again, what are some of the things, some of the lessons that you learned that have always stuck with you? Some of those things, baseball wise or life wise, as you've done all your travels, that so you're just like, yeah, I wouldn't trade that for anything else in the world. Um,
1: yeah, definitely. You know, just never quit. You know, I, I, you know, never giving up on that goal of of playing pro ball. You know, my my goal was to get drafted, go to college. Didn't happen. Um, A lot of guys might, might quit after that or hang up the cleats, but I, I still knew I had some, some talent there and wanted to give it, give it a shot and kind of sticking with it. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a grind in the minors. It's not a glamorous lifestyle by any means financially. And, um, but you know, I think my one of my, my – definitely special to to drop down and then the following year make the Northern League All-Star team. You know, I think Drew Miller and myself, I think we were almost the only two guys in that All-Star game with no affiliated ball experience. And I I was able to kind of get some attention. and had some workouts with some MLB teams after I dropped down. So just to kind of almost just keep plugging away. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I never – sign with an affiliated team but I guess that's where it's been pretty special even now to kind of work start working with the Baltimore Orioles and um, you know wasn't able to sign as a player but now that I'm able to kind of do some stuff scouting wise um, yeah I'm I'm obviously looking forward to doing more with the Orioles organization so
0: you segued really well into my next question which is (laughs) what's next for Jeff Reborn?
1: Um, you know, I mean, with Cider Nation, I was trying to maybe balance and do too much with the University of Calgary as well. And I guess I was hoping last season, you know, we were going to maybe have, we had a pretty solid team and going to have maybe, maybe the first winning, winning season in UFC history and maybe right off into the sunset. But, um, didn't, didn't happen, unfortunately. But I, Cider Nation's obviously kind of being my, my passion. It's, it's my, my baby and, um, Wanted to do more stuff with Sidearm Nation, and you know, started my own podcast, and it's been fun to just a fun different way to get interviews and connect with with different players, and just release kind of a video ebook that's kind of been a couple years in the making, and um, you know, and maybe in a month or so here, going to be kind of just a, it's a little more online community for for Sidearm Nation as well. So it's just a few projects that I just didn't quite have time in the past. So I'm looking forward to actually finally doing them
0: we're looking forward to seeing them final question you've probably heard it being asked a million times before and maybe given some thought already to it what does the game of baseball mean to Jeff Reborn
1: (laughs) um yeah I mean for me like anytime I just I I I hop on the mound not that it happens very much anymore (laughs) (laughs) the odd time I'll hop on still but um it's it's just it's almost like feeling like you're a kid again and Um, You know, in a weird way with baseball, I mean, pretty fortunate, you know, being able to do it full time and doesn't necessarily feel like work. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it it honestly just just still being I mean, I guess I just turned 40 of last week, but I, you know, I think overall I still feel pretty young because of the game of baseball.
0: Jeff, appreciate your time. Thanks so much for sharing some of your stories and uh, all the best as we head towards a summer that maybe is a little bit warmer than it is right now. (laughs)
1: no thanks for having me stay warm
0: thanks again to jeff freeborn for joining us this week and as always thanks to all of you for downloading and listening if you haven't already do us a huge favor and leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider of choice those actions help spread the word about what we're up to until next time thanks for all of your support no matter the platform of alberta dugout stories